Welcome to the Iowa Agronomy Update, where we talk all things agronomics. I'm your host, Brent Schwinnaker, and this podcast is brought to you by Asgro DeKalb Brand Seeds. Hey everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the Iowa Agronomy Update. We're glad to have you back here on our pre-4th of July edition of the episode of the uh, podcast. And, and uh, you know, we last uh, visited here on, I believe, the beginning part of the uh, month of June, and we were uh, in the middle of uh, a lot of our post-application sprays and, and uh, talked a lot about what uh, those conditions were like during planting, but then also kind of transitioned into some of the EPA decisions that were going on with our post applications of our sprays. But now we're at the end of June and we've got uh, a couple of our uh, technical agronomists here with us today that are gonna help us through some of these uh, post uh, 4th of July decisions that we've got coming up. And we've got John Swalwell here uh, on the podcast. Hey John, welcome back to the uh, podcast. Good afternoon, thanks Brent. And we got a new addition here as well. We've got Andrew Penny joining us. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Brent? Great. Andrew comes to us as one of our new agronomists here to uh, the DeKalb Asgro team. And he uh, actually partners with uh, John in the Southwest Quadrant. And, you know, Andrew, welcome. Welcome to the team. And, hey, what a better year to get started than 2020, right? <laughs> it's been an interesting one. Uh, definitely couldn't be more happy to be part of part of this team, but it, it's definitely been an interesting year for, for numerous reasons. Right. Yes. I, I uh, can continue every day to wonder what what's next uh, of 2020. But, hey, Andrew, give us a Give the listeners a little background on on kind of your your history and where where you've been and and what uh, what you kind of bring to the team. Yeah, so uh, I I live here in Ames, Iowa, and uh, after I got my undergrad, uh, I worked for Key Co-op for about nine and a half years, and so uh, I learned a lot of awesome stuff, met a lot of great people, uh, really enjoyed my time there, and then I decided kind of late in life to go back uh, and, and get my graduate degree. So uh, I ended up getting my master's in uh, PhD from Iowa State. And uh, I got my PhD in plant pathology and uh, a minor in crop physiology. So uh, I bring a lot of uh, research uh, experience, you know, on fungicides, uh, modes of action, and, you know, just disease control uh, to the team. So uh, look look forward to talking about it. Well, what a coincidence that we've got you on today then as that kind of kind of background here as we think about what uh, what we've got going on here uh, as we get back from from the fourth. Right. So, uh, you know, you guys are kind of covering an area that that, um, you know, let's just kind of set the stage here a little bit. So uh, and I think it's this area is continuing to, to grow, but we're. John, we we could use a drink of water in, in a lot of the this territory, right? Yeah, we could. And it is spotty. Like uh, right here where I live, um, near the town of Macedonia or Carson, Iowa, we got about an inch last night. And then oh, uh, you. went up to a plot, and I was visiting with the grower uh, of Videtum and just a couple tents. And they're kind of, you know, feeling like they're on that brink of having some moisture stress. We've had different places where the corn has been protecting itself, um, you know, 
from 10 o'clock in the morning till two in the afternoon, you could kind of see it just a little bit rolled up. Definitely not severe drought stress. Um, but if you combine that dry pattern with um, maybe if, if we have some fields that are a little bit compromised on root development, you know, it's, it's concerning some guys and we're seeing some spots in the afternoon that, that could use a drink. So um, hopefully uh, the dry areas will get filled in with some showers over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but definitely yeah. I don't think it's a crisis at all, but uh, I think most of the guys you talk to uh, would take a little drink of water now. Yeah. It feels like we're getting enough in those drier spots to, to keep us going. I just, uh, you know, you hate to get to that severe, severe condition as we start to, that plant starts to use more and more water here in the next few weeks. So I, I, it's going to be hard to catch up if we get too, too much further behind. So that's one of my, one of my concerns, I guess. So. Yep. Yeah. That's a good point. Hey, so then, so we got the stage here. So we got variable, we got variable conditions here across the state, right? So we've got, you know, the Eastern side that, that has uh, probably a little bit more uh, excess uh, water from our um, tropical storm that that set them up a little bit better. The uh, crystal ball, right? Tropical storm crystal ball kind of helped them out. Um, we've got uh, rapid um, accumulation of, of heat units. So, you know, think about our timing um, right now here, pre-4th of July, you guys, and you know, just how fast we've accumulated this and then, you know, how close we are to making that fungicide decision once we c celebrate the 4th of July. Yeah, we're really, I mean, uh, crop progress is going to put us to where we're going to have a lot of things uh, getting to tassel shortly after the 4th. There'll probably be a couple early season corns planted early that, that might reach, uh, have a few tassels peaking around the 4th, um, but it's definitely going to be right in our wheelhouse after the holiday. Um, yep. I know several of the aerial applicators are geared up, uh, getting set up, and probably making some pre-tassel applications, which, you know, I, I think on that application timing, we've probably come to a trend where there's more diversity into when people are applying than, than what we might have seen a few years ago. Um, you know, so uh, for different reasons with different products and in different field scenarios, I think we've got guys kind of spreading out that application window a little bit. There's some more guys doing it with ground rigs where they can. And, and, and so I think we're seeing more of a spread out fungicide application season than we might have seen five or seven years ago. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, as we continue to uh, conduct research and look at the you know, uh, best time to apply that fungicide, you know, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, how, how the environment obviously impacts disease. And so we're, you know, we're seeing a lot more of a variable um, application dates. And so, you know, as, as we continue to learn more and, and, you know, base our decisions on mother nature, um, you know, that, that's, that's the, the best way to, to manage disease and, and hopefully get the best return on investment. Yeah, I can, I can tell you guys too, that this has certainly changed uh, our, our methods here research here at the research farm here in Huxley, as far as, you know, we always used to, to consider that VT to R1 timing as our, our critical, you know, fungicide. But now, now we're seeing research done, you know, dabbling anywhere from V5, dabbling in some V5 all the way to that R1 in corn. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to learn uh, more about some of these applications as we go as well. But, um, if you're to go out 
and and you know think about spraying you know our fungicide product you know are you are you guys still telling them vtr1 is that still the main that main time frame or what are we looking for for optimum timing still <clears throat> I, I think when it comes to the optimum timing uh discussion i i often like to look at you know what mother nature's uh kind of been given us over the last week or two and then kind of what the forecast looks like so you know we we have our, our famous disease triangle and we we can we know that we have the inoculums there for the most part depending on which which disease and pathogen we're talking about mm-hmm. and what you know what's really up in the air every year is is what mother nature is going to throw at us and so as we continue to talk about you know the optimal timing um, we do see that based on research that that vt to r1 is is you know has the increased likelihood for a, a positive return on investment. Um, but, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've been a part of and seen a lot of research where, you know, there are times when we're, we're super wet and we have the, the you know, the humidity's there and, you know, that V16 application can be, you know, the, the best timing. So, so it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of got to just play it by field, um, know the hybrid, know the background uh, of the field that you're, you know, you're thinking about spraying and then, you know, kind of let mother nature guide you, you know, what, what's she going to, what has she shown you in the last week? Uh, you know, is there a, a pretty good chance for rain in the next week or two? Uh, do we look like we're going to be wet and humid? Um, you know, those, those are the things you want to be looking at. I think, well, you know, when you're one of the conversations that we have uh, sometimes around that, um, I think VT is, is great timing in the absence of other data that would cause you to switch that application date. And I think part of that for me is if we're looking at protecting plant health, you know, the the healthiest plant that we're going to have is probably right there around VT um, before mother nature has a chance to, to wear down that factory that we built um, with diseases and other issues. So that's one factor, but I, I just think, um, you know, growers are getting more and more, in tune to their own field data. And just because that factor is there, um, you know, keep exploring uh, what is the optimum in your productive system, because we got guys that are doing 20 inch rows at 38,000 population. And we've got guys that are 30 inch rows um, and they may be in the upper twenties or lower thirties for some of their populations. And, you know, those factors right there do dictate a lot about what that uh, disease development environment is like. So, um, with the tools that we have to manage our field information, as far as the um, mapping capabilities, uh, just encourage guys to uh, not just follow the crowd and try some stuff based off of their information that they have around their own productive production system. John, you touched on there a little bit, just on a couple different cropping systems that may, you know, be a, a variable when when making this decision. What what else comes to mind when you're thinking about what fields to spray, what products, you know, as far as what hybrid corn hybrids to spray and or, or just in general, what other reasons are you looking for in this in this timing? Because essentially, right, I mean, hopefully we're having these conversations now to get your applicators lined up for post 4th of July. And, and these decisions are probably happening as we speak. So what. What are those those other curveballs or or uh, products fields reasons that you're looking at right now this week to get aligned for the post Fourth of July timeframe? Well, guys always will ask, you know, what hybrids do I need to spray? And so they are coming in with a uh, 
mindset that only certain hybrids will respond to the fungicide. And I definitely think there's differences in the way herbicides respond to that fungicide application, but I don't know that it's only a hybrid factor. Um, you know, I, I often will try to go through our lineup and uh, we'll put together a grid of the disease ratings uh, that are controlled by fungicides. And that can give guys a lot of clues, you know, like, okay, I've got a product that is a five or a six on, uh, let's say, gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf blight or one of the diseases where a fungicide application is a very effective measure of control. And that would definitely be a reason to elevate that on the spray list and also a way to focus your scouting if you're in the scout and spray mode. Um, but I, I would say that the other thing that I put in there is if I look retroactively with the growers that have put on fungicide, the ones that know that it is a very good investment for them, a lot of times are the ones that are in a really high management, high yield system. So I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to rank your fields on their, um, on whether you want to spray them for fungicide based off of what you think the yield potential is going into it. Because in the end, we've got a cash flow of this. And if you're throwing an extra management practice on a field that is already compromised for some reason on its yieldability, I do think that your chances of a good payout on that investment go down. So I'm an advocate on just making sure that we target the fields where we've put a lot of inputs in and we have a really high expectation of what that's going to return us in bushels. And they're, they're probably more likely the ones that are going to be a real good investment of that extra cost on, on fungicide. I don't know. What are your thoughts to go along with that, Andrew? Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I think it's one of those things where we have, we have so many factors nowadays that, that contribute to our decision of, of if and when to spray a fungicide. Um, and I think that the more of those, um, you know, factors we can just put in our, you know, write down and, and think about, you know, factors, I mean, something as simple as increased nitrogen levels, you know, we know certain diseases like gray leaf spot are, are more prone to show up in, in fields where the, the, the nitrogen levels are high. And so there, there's just little things you can go through in your head, you know, like corn on corn situations, uh, narrow rows, um, you know, what, what was the disease severity like uh, in diseases present last year? You know, it's one, it's one of those things, unfortunately, just because you didn't see it in your field, if the neighbor's field had it, you know, that inoculum's there. And it just takes a, a minor wind event to move those spores, uh, you know, to the neighboring field. And so uh, it, it can get pretty complicated. But I think if, if we just uh, single out each individual uh, field in the, the circumstances that can increase the chance of, of disease, then that kind of helps with that decision. Yeah, John, you mentioned, you know, ranking your fields, thinking about high yield or return on investment and even cash flow, you know, typically you'd love to say that, man, pre 4th of July, we got a 20 cent rally, you know, four days before the 4th of July, that should help, right. Ultimately make some of these decisions on cash flow basis. But then we go back to remembering, Oh yeah, this is 2020 again and realizing <laughs> what, what year we're in. But uh, I think that 20 cent rally is certainly going to help us, you know, think about making some of these decisions, but it's still, I think it still factors into some of those, those typical variable fields that we often run into, right. Of, you know, yield potential and return on investment. So that. Yeah. And if you're the agronomist that uh, had a hand in recommending the corn product, 
you'd just assume they spray every single acre, whether it made money or not, because fungicide usually makes our products look really good. Right. But that's not, uh, you know, the producer has a lot more complex uh, decisions. So out of respect for that, I think we do try to help them with whatever information we can provide um, as to how to make those decisions on their own farm. Yeah. Because um, it's not it's not one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, what about uh, harvest timing? You know, we often have that planned route of harvest uh, where you're going to head next and first or, you know, what you know, what's going to be last in the field. Does that factor in? Uh, as well or not yeah i would say absolutely that that's got to be one of the you know one of the positives uh with spraying a fungicide you know that's one of those things where depending on on what the stock quality could have been in a in a control situation you know where no fungicide was applied Mm -hmm. um spraying a fungicide you know that you don't have to rush to get that corn out of the field you know you know we've seen uh researchers shown that it it does uh, impact stock quality and so we know that as the sugar content in that stock decreases, that's that's about the time when a lot of those pathogens um, like to attack that stock. And so with that, we know that, um, you know, foliar disease, um, you know, at, at the right time when we're trying to fill that grain, if if uh, depending on the, the environmental conditions, we can start pulling, uh, you know, carbohydrates from that stock. And so um, I, I think, you know, when spraying a fungicide and, and trying to tie in the harvest, it's, it's definitely a benefit to to know that you don't have to get to that field right away. You can let it sit a little bit longer and, you know, we're not going to have stock problems and lose ear, lose ears. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit here, guys, and, and think about the, the core, the core diseases that really we want to focus in on. If, if you're going to, if you are in, uh, in that strategy where you are in, watching for disease presence and you're spraying for these certain diseases what are the common what are the common ones that you're looking for uh this time frame uh to be to be heading into your or forecasted to be heading into your area we see a lot of uh, spot blight um a lot of years work blow up and become a factor i think uh we've got new rock which i haven't seen a lot but tar spot is definitely out there um so i don't know andrew those would be the first ones that come to my mind that we ought to be uh focusing on yeah absolutely that's one of those things where we know that uh we have the inoculum every year every year with great leaf spot in northern corn leaf blight and like john said we have that kind of that new player uh, across the state uh, i know it's uh, tar spot I know it's been in parts of, you know, northeastern Iowa and eastern Iowa uh, for a year or two now. But uh, I was part of, of the team in Iowa State that tracked it across the state, you know, move, moving west. And so uh, we, we now know that it overwinters. And so um, that, that's one of those diseases that we definitely need to be on the lookout for. But, yeah, the big big three are definitely gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. And, I mean, eye spot's there, but it never really flares up. Um, but, but definitely tar spot's one to keep on your radar. So more specifically, Andrew, if you don't mind, around that tar spot. Um, so my guys over here in the West, you know, we know it was identified in counties uh, last fall, but I think a lot of it came so late when the plant was already senescing that I don't think growers have a great feel for it. Are there any any uh, to make sure that they're not 
me by surprise this year. Yeah, so I, I think that's one of those things, um, you know, after uh, kind of following the progression of tar spot across the state and watching some fields uh, develop uh, in, in the severity increase, it's, it's definitely seems like it's a very aggressive pathogen. Um, you know, that there were instances in fields where, you know, we were walking in and maybe finding a, a few of the, the black lesions associated with tar spot. And, you know, a, a week, week and a half later, we have uh, leaves, you know, half covered uh, a little bit more. And so um, it's, you know, we're, we're still learning a lot about it. It's a, it's a, a pathogen that came from South America. And so um, a lot of what we know is based on information from uh, South American research. So I, th- I think it's, it's one of those things, though, if you think you have it, um, the best thing you can do, you know, it, it, it essentially looks like someone just took black ink and uh, a, you know, a paintbrush and just flung paint on a leaf. It's, you know, little black specks. And um, if, if you think you have it, the best thing you can do is try and scrape it off with your thumb. And if you can scrape it off with your thumb, it's, it's not tar spot. But if you find yourself trying to scrape that off uh, with your thumbnail and, and it's not coming off, then you may have tar spot. That, that's a pretty good indicator. Yeah, that helps. And like, I, you know, from talking to other agronomists, I, I think that uh, every one of them has stressed the fact that it, it is a very aggressive progression on the crop. So I think for yeah. us over here, it's definitely a, a new thing to keep in mind. Every time you're scouting, uh, there's materials out there. We have material what it looks like and and as you're um, looking through your fields um, before and after fungicide application you know just as partly to protect the crop but also partly just to kind of document incidents so we know for future years coming what we have for yeah yep with with those those three common ones that you guys brought up so northern corn uh gray leaf and and tar spot um are, are you guys going to manage those any differently? I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, just some of the active ingredients that are in uh, our, our fungicide products. You know, you've got curative versus preventative. Are, are you going to approach these any differently based on, you know, past history or, or what you've got for uh, basically inoculum in your fields? Yeah, so, so when, we're, when we're talking about, you know, fungicide active ingredients and then uh, specific diseases, I think the, the most important thing to know is, you know, the, the life cycle of that pathogen. And so, you know, like we said, we know that year in, year out, we're, we're likely going to deal with uh, gray leaf spot. Uh, depending on the conditions, you know, we'll, we'll m- might see a little northern corn leaf bite and, and, you know, right environmental conditions, it can definitely flare up. So I think, I think the, the best way to handle that is, is to, to be scouting your fields. You know, we have, we have these fungicide active ingredients that, that have their specialties. And so uh, what I mean by that is our strobularins, our, our QOIs, uh, they're best at, which, which, you know, some use the term preventative. And the reason for that is because they are best at preventing spore germination. So if you can picture uh, your, you know, spores, uh, re- you know, uh, overwintering in residue or being blown in from uh, a neighboring field uh, with, a, with a QOI fungicide on, your, on that leaf, when we're talking about uh, the triazoles, you know, we often use that, that curative term. And so even though that's probably not the best term, I still use it. And, and the reason we use the, the term curative is because uh, these, these triazoles, they're, they're best at inhibiting mycelia growth. And so 
if we think about a, a spore landing on a leaf, uh, germinating, uh, infecting that leaf, you know, that, that, that pathogen is going to progress and invade the plant by spreading mycelia through the leaf. And so uh, if we see a lesion and that, you know, that lesion is going to, you know, get bigger if with, with no fungicide application and depending on the conditions, it spreads through mycelia. And so uh, we, we typically say that we like to have a triazole on a leaf within 48 to 72 hours after infection. And so if, if we can get that, that triazole on there after that spore is germinated and infected the leaf within 48 to 72 hours, we can stop the progression of that disease. And so that's kind of where we get the, you know, those terms for those fungicides. And so thinking about how to manage uh, disease using these fungicides, it's always beneficial to, you know, have a, a good idea through, through scouting of, of where we stand as far as progression of disease. You know, it, it's probably not the best idea to go out on a field that is just, you know, has a really high disease severity and, and put a fungicide on um, when compared to, you know, scouting and, and maybe seeing a few lesions, uh, knowing that the next week or two is really conducive for spread. Um, that's, that's definitely an area where, you know, you just want to be sure that you're applying and, and using those active ingredients the, the way they were meant to be used. And I think, you know, those timing factors, um, a guy also needs to keep in mind what type of ground what ground can he cover how can he get that work done and then you can tweak maybe elevate them to the ones that all right i got to make sure with my application rig that at the optimum time because it's got a heavier pressure uh from this particular disease disease and maybe some of the others um you're more flexible you know We've got the optimums and we've also got the fact that there's a certain amount of work that's going to need to be done in a fairly short window and um, using all those factors to make a, a plan for every field is, is probably in the grower's best interest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, on, on top of what was said, you know, the, the disease that you're, you're looking at and scouting for and, and dealing with in your area definitely influences that. So Grayley, for example, always starts from the bottom up. So if we're out there scouting and, and, you know, we, we always find a uh, gray leaf spot on the lower leaves. And so <clears throat> that's one of those instances where if conditions are conducive for that spread of that pathogen, it's going to work its way from the bottom, you know, the lower canopy up to the ear leaf. And so when we start seeing, um, you know, disease work its way to the ear leaf, which is the most important leaf uh, on that corn plant, you know, that's when we've got to start, you know, thinking about what we can do to prevent that spread. Andrew, John, you guys mentioned uh, a, a little bit here on um, the disease triangle and, and conditions. I, I kind of want to go back to a couple things that we've mentioned, right, on uh, moisture and, and humidity. Do these, how do these diseases react to uh, some of that, you know, typically when we think about diseases, you think about hot and wet, you know, so but is there a difference between a, a wet stretch or wet spell versus humidity uh, and then these overnight humidities and, and hot and cool and, and just some of those factors, right? Yeah. Go, go ahead, John, if you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, I was just, I mean, the, the thing for me, I looking back over the years, you know, we often compare the temperatures, uh, as to whether they're going to favor gray leaf or northern corn leaf blight. 
I think both of them are going to require a decent amount of humidity um, to progress at a rapid pace. Um, you know, we can have um, northern corn leaf blight. I think we really track uh, leaf wetness. What, how many hours a day do we have leaf, what, leaf wetness for it to spread? But the, the biggest difference in manageable, I think just in general, you know, if we're in that warmer spell and it is wet, we're probably more likely to see the gray leaf progress. Uh, whereas if we have more moderate and cool temperatures and we have the moisture, we're probably going to see northern um, progress a little bit faster. Um, other than that, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of initiatives going on trying to predict diseases. And they're probably still a little bit immature, but um, we will look at the forecast uh, to try to make predictions, but we also work backwards to build those prediction models. And um, we get internally, um, and we do um, share these out some, our disease forecast map. Um, and we're trying to create those models based off the observation. We'll look at when a disease shows up in a certain area, and then we'll go backwards in the weather pattern to see if we can understand the trends that made it spike. I would say that it's a great help at the level of its development now to keep us on track of what to do, but it's still not probably to the um, precision for small field environments where that could be your predictor. So all of this information will give us inklings of what, but find that with a certain amount of scouting uh, to really get a handle on how that disease is progressing. I don't know if that, if that hit that answer. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, a good kind of look behind the, the curtain there on maybe some of these uh, predictive maps that you may see uh, being shared and, and floating around, right? And it just kind of what goes into those. And, you know, and, and I think your comment is that they, they may be a, um, a little immature in the modeling yet, but we, we have to start somewhere uh, in the modeling to help better understand some of these predictive predictive things. And so, uh, another thing I want to touch on here before we wrap up is, um, we often get a lot of questions around surfactant package, um, going in, uh, to this and, and timing. What, what can you guys tell me about, uh, the importance of understanding the surfactant load going into this application? Yeah, I think, I think that's one of those things, you know, uh, we'll often, uh, get questions about, non-ionic surfactants and so you know uh that's one of those things where you know if we're going out there spraying earlier on that v14 um you know i, I guess any any time before tassel really um you know you j just be wary of that because you know those non-ionic surfactants have been shown to cause arrested ear development and so that's one of those things you know if, if you do uh feel like you need to put that application on a little bit earlier um i would say just just be uh be wary of adding that nis Good, 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 good stuff, you guys. A lot to a lot to think about here uh, over as over the weekend and over the holiday, and and as this corn is really starting to stretch out and get um, get some legs underneath it, and we'll be to re reproductive stages here pretty fast. So, uh, any last thoughts here that I may have missed, uh, pathology wise or fungicide wise, or what uh, what else may we be looking forward to expect here in the next next couple of weeks no I, I think you hit it you know we're, we're definitely going to be at tassel and, and at that stage where we you know we're, we're probably going to start seeing some some lesions show up here and uh at, at that stage where you know growers going to potentially be making that fungicide application 
And I think I would just like to point out maybe, you know, focus on, on the active ingredients. Um, so just, just like herbicides, you know, we have a lot of different fungicides and there's, there's definitely differences in uh, active ingredients. And so, you know, kind of really what we're seeing is, um, you know, the, the, the concentration of, of the triazole uh, within Delaro, for example, that, that prothioconazole um, is, is really showing a, a, a impact when it comes to residuals. And so, you know, that's, that's one of those things to think about, too. If, if you feel like the disease severity uh, and the conditions are conducive for disease and you need to spray a little bit earlier, um, it, it's one of those things, you know, we, we roughly give about 21 days of residual with a lot of the uh, strobies and, you know, 14 days roughly with a lot of the triazoles. So, you know, that's definitely something that, that I've seen in, in research, you know, that increased triazole is kind of helping with that residual. So yeah. just something to think about. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And just Andrew. in general there's a lot of differences in the products that are out there and, and picking the right mix of active ingredients. Um, you know, it's a, a lot of people I think are still in that phase of do I, or do I not use fungicide? And I think there's enough diversity in the products that we got to be focusing on which fungicide do I use when I use it? And why am I choosing that one for my disease? our resistance management plan so that we're not selecting, uh, putting selection pressure on these diseases to become. Yep. Hey guys. Yes or no. It's more, which do I use? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good points there, John, Andrew, and a lot of, a lot of information here. And, and certainly if, if your strategy is, is on the fence here, some good, good points to, to take home. And so, John, Andrew, appreciate you guys uh, joining us. Have a, have a good 4th of July and, and make sure you guys come back with all your fingers and toes from, from, <laughs> from the fireworks, please. So It's been a pleasure, Brent. <laughs> yeah, no, Andrew, yep. glad, to, glad to have you on board. John, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon and, and have a good weekend. And thanks, everybody, for joining in. Have a happy 4th of July. And, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be back again and, and we'll be touching – more on agronomics here uh, post-holiday. Post so thanks again. We'll uh, see you back here again. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See you.